You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. One of the things that uh, went down last night was the Shine Women's Ministry, uh, their ladies' activity, the Decades Party. And I know Seuss, my wife, loved it. And one of the things that um, I love about the ladies' activities when they have them is I get to make sure that when she, Seuss goes, I get to watch the kids. And so I love to be able to take them out. Last night I took them out with my brother-in-law, Luke, and uh, he brought Lucas, uh, one of his kids, together. And we went and watched a movie and ate David's Burgers and had a good time. And when I was driving out to the movie, I saw Dan Brown, who was driving his kids. And I was like, oh man, is he going to the movie with me? And then I watched and he turned in. He was going bowling. And I know that Jeff and Tim went out to CC's with the boys. I just love it when dads uh, step in and spend some time with their kids. And one of the things that, if you're a parent in here, you know to be true, or a grandparent, because you obviously had kids at one point, is you know that children can tend to be very discontent. And what I mean by that, kind of illustrating this, would be a story. Uh, So this summer, we uh, went—I took my family— um, me and uh, actually our entire family, even my brother and his family and all my siblings and my, uh, my parents, we all went to Florida and we spent a couple days in Orlando. And we went to Orlando, we kind of had a plug uh, that, uh, that helped us to be able to get tickets for Disney World. And uh, we, we got to spend two days at Disney World. Um, and so I got a picture of us there in front of the castle and Lainey is loving life right here. She's got the ears, MJ's got the ears. Kia was one month old, and uh, he was loving life, I guess. It was 100 degrees outside. I'm sorry. Don't call Child Protective Services on us. But no, we had him on uh, out there with the baby Yoda. He looked exactly like him, and it was awesome. And we were uh, just enjoying our time. And when we were going into, you know, right around here, you're walking in. If you've ever been to Disney World, you go uh, through the gates. And, and uh, if you know Lainey at all, she's, uh, this is her famous statement. So we push through, and we get, you know, through the security, through the ticket booth, and we, we get in, and we get in line for the first ride. And so we're in line for the first ride, and Lainey asks her famous statement, which I know many parents have heard and very frustrating sometimes, is, hey, Dad, what are we doing tomorrow? Well, Lainey, each breath that you've taken is... Can we just love what we're doing right now and not worry about tomorrow? Because, like, this is, this, is, this is a lot of money. And, oh, yeah, yeah, that's great, Dad. You know, and so we get a little further, and we get to the first toy store. And MJ, you know, my son, MJ's five years old. He's, uh, he is something. And so we, uh, we get into the store, and we had budgeted a little bit of money on the side to buy Laney and MJ a little a little toy, and they're looking over here at like, you know, the toys and things that are like, you know, $250. I'm like, guys, the, the discount rack right here, it's 25 and under, that's where we'll be spending our money, and they're like, oh, okay, you know. So we get there, and they're looking at all, everything, and they're, you know, MJ picks out this bubble wand. It's, it's a wand that's like battery powered, and it shoots out bubbles, and it, you know, whatever, it's got the Mickey ears, and so we bought that and a couple little extra casings, and I said, MJ, I said, listen, there's a lot of stores in Disney World. So this is the first store we've, we've stopped at. So do you want to like maybe wait and like buy, you know, there might be something else you like more 
And he said, no, I want this one, you know, in his raspy voice, you know, I want this one. And I said, okay, so we buy it, and he's having a good time, you know, bubbles are coming out, and we get to walk in, and, and all of a sudden, we look over, and there's, a, there's another kid, and he has, his wand, his wand looks a little different. And MJ, you know, looks at his wand, looks over at that kid's wand, looks back at his wand, looks at me, and says, Daddy, can I have that wand? And I said, no. I said, you said that you wanted that wand, and that's the one that you get. And if we're being honest, every person in here, including myself, we are much like MJ and Laney. We can find ourselves being very discontent. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the content of contentment. The content of contentment. In your notes there, the first statement that I have is the definition of contentment. What does Webster's Dictionary tell us contentment is? Contentment is the state of satisfaction. The state of satisfaction. For much of my life, I've had this misunderstanding of what true contentment is. Um, if you've known Seuss and I for a while, we got married almost 10 years ago. Um, we're going to be celebrating our 10th anniversary here this upcoming summer. And on our first anniversary, like to the day, like June 7th is our anniversary, on that day, uh, on our first anniversary, we had a baby girl, Lainey. And so we didn't have that honeymoon stage, if you will, that, that few years or however long where you spend time with each other and just get to relax without kids and get to know each other a little bit more and take trips. And we never really got that. And it's and it, kind of difficult, too, because literally, you know, our anniversary is on, you know, your daughter's birthday. So you're like, man, you don't want to leave her. You know, she don't want to let her feel abandoned you know, on her birthday. And so we have not really taken, since our honeymoon, we haven't taken a trip by ourselves uh, in, in almost 10 years. And so on our seventh anniversary, um, I told Seuss, I said, hey, I said, let's start saving up for our 10th anniversary. And I said, by then, you know, maybe the kids will be a little older. We can get, we can get some help. And I said, let's, let's plan a trip. She's always wanted to go to Greece. And so I said, let's, let's, for three years, let's save, let's budget, let's get this taken care of. And on our 10th anniversary, let's go to Greece. And so, uh, you know, we, we, we did, and we've, we've done that. We've kind of started our reservations on different things and booked our cruise from Barcelona. And I can picture it now. I can picture us dropping our children off at somebody's house, which I don't know who that is yet. But I will drop them off, trust me. And they will be dropped off. And Seuss and I will get in the vehicle and leave. And we will be by ourselves. And we will go to Barcelona. And at that moment, we will embark on a cruise ship. And when you get on a cruise, if you've been on a cruise ship, you know that when you step foot on there, you realize that everything's included. And you will eat good food and have free entertainment, or included, I should say, entertainment. And we will go across from Barcelona to the Mykonos Islands and Santorini, and I can see us on the ship pulling up to port. And I can walk out on the deck, Coke Zero in hand, 
take a few deep breaths, look at the shores, no kids, and say, this is satisfaction. And then, after the cruise, I will then come home, and my phone will start blowing up, and my kids will start to fight and yell, Daddy, thousands of more times. And my pocketbook will be very much less and look a lot different after this cruise, and I will be back down to earth. You see, many people have a misconception, including myself, about what true contentment is. See, external happiness is like cotton candy. It's real sweet, and it's good for a little bit, and then it's gone in an instant. And what I want us to understand is is in this introduction that many of us in here, if we'll think for a second, maybe we can change our thought on what contentment truly is. You know, why, why do you think basketball players, you know, I follow sports and basketball and baseball players, they're signing these 300, 500 million dollar contracts. And, uh, you know, they, they, they'll reject the 201 million because they really think that they need the 202 million. And, and they, they, they just, they have to have a little bit more. And then the, the, the YouTubers, you know, who have 50 million subscribers every time on their video, they've got to say like and subscribe 50 times because they need 51 million followers and viewers and subscribers. And then, and then, you know, I think about even myself and us in this room. Many of us can relate to maybe even like, you know, you have a phone and you're like, man, I need the new phone. Or maybe you got the game, right? A lot of our guys and girls on the basketball team and baseball team are here. And you guys, you guys got 2K23, but 2K24 is coming out. And you need that the night it comes out because we need the new game. Some of us in here have seen this happen and... People cheat on their spouse when they've already had a lifetime partner. Why? Why does the human race do this? And I want you to write this down. Because more is never enough. More is never enough. And so one of the things that I want to do as we get into the message is I want to preface it. My brother Joe and I, we're big prefacers. We like to preface everything. So like, you know, if, we, if we're going to tell you something and we're going to tell you like some truth, we're like, all right, I'm going to tell you this, but first let me just preface it by saying this. Here's five prefaces that I want to give to contentment because I want you to know what contentment isn't and then what it is. And so let's quickly go through these five things. First of all, the first preface that I have to this message on contentment is number one, contentment isn't apathy. Contentment isn't apathy. Contentment is filled with hope. Apathy is the epitome of hopelessness. Contentment isn't lazy. Contentment isn't saying, oh, well, you know, I'm good here. I don't, I'm content, so I don't need to really do more. I don't need to be excellent. I can just kind of cruise through being okay. Notice the action in this passage on the screen, Romans 12, 1 through 12, uh, uh, excuse me, 11 through 12. Notice the action. The Bible says, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on 
praying. Can I challenge you this morning to actively pursue the goals that God has given you? I think in a message I fear that I didn't want to preach on contentment and people think, well, I'm good where I'm at. I don't need to do what I, I, you know, most said that I'm good. Well, no, no, what I'm telling you is that contentment is not apathy. It is not laziness. I know that I've had a few friends on this, uh, the, the weight loss goal this past year, and I have seen a couple of my friends lose over 100 pounds. And I just challenge them, and I'm so excited for them because they're, they, they, they work hard, and they're, they're in the gym, and they're eating right, and then they maybe have a little setback, but then they keep going, and they keep working hard. And that's challenging, and that's exciting. And God wants us to take care of our bodies and to, to, be, uh, to, be, to, do, to do what we need to do to stay healthy. What about this? What about uh, students? School started last week. High school, college. School started last week. And some of us in here have this mindset. D's get degrees, man. Let's get out of here and let's just do what we need to do to pass. Right? Let's just pass. My challenge to you is that we don't need to have that type of attitude. If you can get a B, get the B. If you can get the A, get the A. Strive for excellence. Strive for excellence. God commands us in his word to do everything, whatever our hands find to do, do it with our might, do it heartily for the Lord. We don't want to give our second best. We want to give our best because contentment isn't apathy. What about your job? What about sport? What about your relationships? Oh, no, this message is not to say, oh, just be content with where you're at. And, you know, well, I'm married, so I'm content. And we don't have to ever date again, baby. I'm good. You know, we're, we're, we're married. We know what we're, we love each other. No, no, no. Keep winning your spouse over. Continue to do things for them. Love on them. Love on your kids. Continue to be the best dad and mom you can be. Here's my key thought on this point. Do your best and give God the rest. We're not being apathetic. We don't want to be lazy. We want to work hard. We want to work heartily for the Lord. We want to stay enthusiastic about what we're doing. We want, to, we, want to, we want to live a lifestyle that people would look and say, man, they're hard workers. Those Christians, man, they know how to work hard and work excellently. Because we do our best. But then we give God the rest. Number two, not only is contentment not apathy, but contentment isn't denying yourself good things. Contentment is not denying yourself good things, but rather contentment realizes that all good things come from God. It's a mindset. Contentment isn't denying yourself good things. Look at this passage of Scripture in Ecclesiastes 3.13. The wisest person to ever live outside of Jesus Christ himself, Solomon says, And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. It's okay to enjoy some nice things. It's okay to do nice things for your family and for yourself. It's okay. Don't deny yourself good things as long as you realize that all good things, when they come from, they come from God. This is not a message about purchasing new things, how that's evil and money is evil. No, money is not evil. Money is very good. If you think money is evil, I will trade you gladly a one for a hundred right now, okay? The love of money is the root of all evil. But money in itself is a good thing. So don't, don't, don't listen to this message, tune me out and say, well, he's preaching on contentment. This guy's a little crazy. Uh, you know, he wants me to just not worry about it. No, no, work hard. We're not lazy. No, no, no. Don't deny yourself good things. Just realize where the good, good things come from. And number three, contentment isn't denying the feelings about wanting what you can't have. Rather, 
Contentment shows a freedom from being controlled by those feelings. Here's the truth. I'm not asking you to go out here and never be jealous. Because the truth is, that's impossible. I see, you know, I've seen it where people, you know, well, bless God. Ever since I've been saved and given my life to Christ, I have never been jealous, never lusted once in my life. I'm a very good person. You know, I, I, I never envy. I'm just content with what I have, and I want to look at them and say, you're, you're lying. It's okay to not deny those feelings, because guess what? We're sinners. We're humans. We don't deny those feelings, but what we do is we realize that the Holy Spirit can give us the power to overcome those feelings and have control over those feelings. Number four, contentment isn't pretending things are right when they are not. Remember, we're prefacing this message because I want to be, if this, this might be the most important part of the message. I don't want you to, to feel like contentment is pretending when, oh, oh, well, well, bad things are happening. If I don't act like it's okay, then I'm just not content. No, no, no. Bad things happen. Contentment isn't pretending things are right when they are not. What is contentment? Contentment displays the peace that comes from knowing that God works problems and tough times out for our good. In a crowd this size, I can guarantee you there are people who are going through a tough time right now as we speak. Maybe you just came through a tough time. Or maybe, and I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but maybe you're going to go through a tough time here in a little bit. And when you go through that, just like I have many times, we try to act like everything's okay when they're not. Understand that sometimes things aren't okay, but contentment displays that peace trusting in God. I was thinking about, you know, I've been a youth pastor here for going on 10 years. And one of the things that, uh, one of the trips we took was about five years ago, um, six years ago maybe, it was uh, a trip to New Orleans. And uh, we were uh, going down there, we were going to have like a little, uh, just a youth group bonding time. And basically, we would have night services, and we would go have fun, and Mardi Gras, all things like that. No, I'm just kidding. All right, so we didn't do that. But we ended up going out and having some fun, going to uh, see a swamp tour and see some crocodiles, whatever. And when we went down there, we were on our way down, and I'm excited, you know, and we're going to have a great time. We're on our way down. We're about seven hours into the trip, six hours into the trip. We're about an hour out from New Orleans. I love New Orleans. I love the food. I, my family, a lot of my family's from there. And so I'm like, dude, this is going to be so amazing. So we drive to the gas station because you got to get gas. And so there's a couple 15 passenger vans. We got a bus. You know, we got 50, 60 kids with us. And we're there and filling up gas. And man, go inside, get some snacks. Boy, we got to get some, we got to get some, well, at that point, I probably wasn't drinking Coke Zero. But I mean, I was getting some, something. I was having a good time. Get out to the van, turn that sucker on. Everybody in here? Oh, man, everybody is in here. Other van good? Other van's good. Bus good? Bus good. We got everybody here. And so when we pull out, I'm driving, put that thing in the drive, and boom, boom. Well, typically when you do that, the first thing you do is, what was that? And I was really hoping that it obviously wasn't a student. I was like, oh, my goodness, you know. So I look back in, in, in the rear view mirror, and it was just a bag. Okay, it's just a bag. Just a bag. Not a big deal. Bags are bags. Whatever. Well, I had one of the students go out and pick up the bag. And then I, as they got closer, I realized, that's my bag. 
And that's not my, like, clothes bag. That's, like, my backpack that I carry, like, all my stuff in. Well, just two months prior to that, my car, I live on 3rd Street, um, and this isn't, like, irregular thing to happen, but my car got broken into, and it was my fault for having my backpack left in there, but they stole my backpack, which had my MacBook Pro, and it had my iPad in there. And, you know, at the time, and still, I I don't make enough to just, like, like, yeah, that's fine. I'll just go grab another one. So I was like, dude, I teach from those. I I prepare sermons from those. I do a lot on my computer and iPad. And so uh, God provided. It was nuts. I still, to this day, don't know who did it. But there was a person in North Carolina, unnamed, who bought me a new MacBook Pro and iPad. And I was like, God provides. The tough time was tough, but God always, oh, man, this is amazing. And so I got these new things. Well, Two months, fast forward two months, I've ran over the bag that hosts those two things. And they said, Coach Mo, do you want us to open? Don't open the bag! So we drive the rest of the hour there, and I'm just like, you know, praying, God, Apple's a great company, and they, they have a lot of really quality, quality things. I'm praying that, I know it's a long shot, it's a 15-passenger van with 15 people in it, probably running over it probably toast. But uh, you've done crazier things before and bigger miracles, so I'm asking that you provide a miracle for me. So we pull up to Chipotle, thank God for Chipotle, and we pulled up, and we get out to eat, and you know, the students are kind of like, you know, getting out of the car, and it's time to reveal the damage. So I unzip the bag, and I pull out the iPad, and lo and behold, you guessed it, it's toast. That thing is, that's, that's, it's not working. There's no fixing that screen. And, uh, okay, well, that's not too bad. The, the MacBook Pro is the, the $1,500 to $2,000. I mean, that's my life. I work on that thing. Pull it out, open it up, it's toast. Well, there's like a whole bunch of kids, like, right there. I'm not going to, you know. So they're like, Coach, Coach, Coach Mo, you know, you, you okay? And anything? I'm good. Oh, guys, it's just stuff. Just stuff. You know, oh yeah, it's just stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they go inside to eat Chipotle, and I'm, I'll never forget it. There was a men's warehouse next door to the Chipotle in like a strip mall. And so I walk into the men's warehouse, and I look over at the register people. Hey, where's your restroom? Oh, God bless. Good day. Great day to be alive, you know. Whew. Go to the restroom, and I lost it. <laughs> okay. I, it was one of those things where like, you know, the workers were probably like hearing screaming in the background. Like, what's happening? You know, what? I mean, I lost it. I mean, I, it was like, I was like, I was pretty upset. And I thought to myself, why? Why would you allow me to get this thing stolen, then provide back, and then allow this to happen again? And it was like God didn't audibly speak to me, but he just kind of calmed me down. And he reminded me that he's in control. Now, I can't tell you that he provided necessarily a free iPad or MacBook Pro. In fact, I still don't have an iPad to this day from that incident, but I did have to buy a MacBook Pro with my own money, and God provided that, and he's good. And it was like, I thought to myself, you know what? God doesn't always necessarily provide us with a silver lining. But it's always good to know that God is in control. You know, sometimes... We lose a loved one. And there's no silver lining to losing that loved one. 
Sometimes we go through a tough time and there's a miscarriage. Sometimes we go through a tough time and we don't need to pretend that it's okay, but we need to understand that contentment displays the peace that comes from knowing that God works problems in tough times out for our good. The last preface, not only is contentment not apathy, and it's not denying yourself good things. It is not denying feelings about wanting what you can't have. It's not pretending that things are okay when they're not. Lastly, contentment isn't temporary. Rather, contentment is a lifestyle that is learned. What do you mean, learned? I was, uh, I was also on a trip when I was in the youth group here. Um, I, was in, uh, I went to Colorado a couple times uh, for a ski trip when I was a teenager. And we were uh, in the Rockies, Winter Park, Colorado, amazing. And so we're going skiing, and if you've ever been skiing, uh, you know that there's different ratings of slopes. So you have like the bunny hill, you know, the bunny slopes that are like easy to like kind of learn how to ski. And then you kind of like go all the way up to like the black diamond and you have like the double black diamond. And those are like the really hard ones that like advanced skiers go to. Well, I had a friend named Chris and Chris, uh, he was like, yeah, I'm going straight to those black, double black diamonds. And I said, Chris, I don't think that's a good idea. He said, that's a great idea. And I said, okay, well, all right, I'm going to be over here at the bunny slopes. I just got to make sure that I, you know, learn how to do what I need to do. So I'm doing the bunny slopes, and there's the ski lifts that take you up to the bunny slope, and then there's the ski lifts that take you up to the higher ones. And so I'm just on the ski lift. I'll never forget it. I was on the ski lift, and I'm going back up to do the bunny slope again because I need to get my bearing straight. We're going to be there for four days. So. so I'm going up, and I see Chris. And Chris is, wow, Chris is speeding really fast down the hill. And I'm thinking, wow, he's really, really got it going on. But then I realized, actually, that's a speed in which I don't think is healthy for Chris. See, Chris didn't know that the, slow, the snow plowing technique or cutting back and forth like is, is really needed uh, as you get to the base of the hill because there's a lot of people down there. So I'm on, the, I'm on the ski lift, and I look at Chris, and sometimes you can see like things from a distance happening. And so I see Chris, and I'm like, wow, he's going really fast. And then I see our youth pastor's wife, Tammy Ritter, and she's like trying to get over to the bunny slope, you know, and I'm like, they're going to collide. And believe it or not, boom. I mean, I'm talking, he laid her out. I mean, uh, I had somebody in the first service say, we call that a yard sale. Because <laughs> when he hit her, her goggles flew that way. Her beanie flew that way. Somehow her jacket that was zipped up was off her completely. Like, it was nuts. I was like, she's dead. Chris wanted to skip the learning process. Just like skiing takes a little bit of a learning curve, so does contentment. Contentment is learned. And so what I want to do is I want to get into the meat of the message, and I want to give you the key issue today. The key issue that we're going to go through today is master your desires or they will master you. Master your desires or they will master you. Now you may ask me, I said this morning, you may ask me Coach Mo. None of you are going to ask me Coach Mo, except for the students maybe because I'm coach to them. But you may ask me, Mo, what's, what's going on? How, how, do I, how do I master my desires? Are you going to give us the secret? Well, here's the secret. To master your desires, you have to spend time with the master of desires. 
Psalms 37.4, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, it says this, take delight in the Lord. In other versions of the Bible and translations, they'll, they'll use the word, spend time with the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. It doesn't say that he's going to give you all your desires. He says that he will give you your literal desires. Like, you desire this, you spend time with God, you start desiring this. The best way to control your desires is to spend time with the master of desires. Are we doing that this morning? You may ask, well, why is this important? Like, really? Like, what do we, like, there's a lot of other things, Mo, you could have spoke on. Like, contentment? What's, what's the big idea? Well, here's the truth about contentment. Contentment is the secret to peace. It also breeds thankfulness for what you have and patience for what is to come. The world would be a different place if it knew what true peace was. The world would be a different place if we were a thankful people and not greedy. Could you imagine if the world wasn't greedy? Be, be revolutionary. Could you imagine what a world would be like if, if, if there was patience? Could you imagine? This thing of contentment could change the world. It for sure can change our lives. So here's four things that we need to learn to be content with. We're going to go back to that Philippians 4 passage. And what I didn't tell you about that Philippians 4 passage was that Philippians 4, Paul is actually in prison. And he says this. You can go back. I skipped that slide, uh, Ken, up there. You can go back to that Philippians 4 verse 10. It says this. How I praise the Lord that you were concerned about me. I know you have always concerned uh, concern for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Listen to this. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned, there it is, learned to be content. So let's continue on here in verse 11. Paul's in prison and he says, For I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. So the number one thing, number one, be content in your finance. We've already prefaced this message, guys. We're not talking about don't go make more money. Money's a good thing. Money can be an amazing thing that can revolutionize people's lives and can help the church grow and help get the gospel out. We're not talking about not making more money. We're talking about being content in our finance. There is another story that I wanted to share with you this morning about a, a missions trip that I took uh, our students on to Vanuatu. I still to this day can't believe we pulled this off. Um, the, the parents allowed me to take them to Vanuatu. Vanuatu is a island off of the coast of Australia, about a five-hour flight off of Australia. It's in the middle of the Pacific. And like Vanuatu isn't what I would call Fiji. Okay, Fiji's like, you know, let's go take a vacation. Vanuatu's like, yeah, there's cannibals there. Be careful, you know. So here's a picture of us, our group, um, Nick Cantrell on the right here, kind of a cool story. He ended up uh, surrendering his life to be a missionary to Vanuatu, and he spent a couple years there, and he's trying to see what he can do to get his way back. But here, here's, here's where we are in Vanuatu. And I never forget, I showed up, and we pulled up to the church, and I was like, I, I talked to the missionary. I was like, he was, he's Australian. And I said, dude, I was like, 
this is pretty, this is pretty indigenous, you know, wow, like, this is crazy. He's like, oh, mate, this is the city. And I was like, city? What are you talking about? Like, this is, and he's like, oh, we're about to drive three hours on a big truck, and we're gonna, we're gonna go to the jungle. And I said, oh, okay, you know. So we get in these big trucks, and, and we drive uh, three hours across creeks and rivers, and it's nuts. You start seeing, you know, people with no clothes, literally, and you're like, dude, this is a little nuts. And so you, you go to, uh, to this place, and we get to the little base camp out in the jungle that they had started, and they had a little Bible college that they've started there. It's um, unbelievable, and they're training these indigenous, like, leaders to go to their villages, and it, it's unbelievable. But we were there at the base camp, and uh, I said, wow, this is, it, now this is indigenous. And he said, oh, no, mate, this isn't indigenous. He said, this is base camp. I said, we're still not to, no. I said, you can, you can hike for a week in these jungles and get to these indigenous people where, you know, they're, they're literally practicing cannibalism still. Now, our base camp and where we were didn't, but it was pretty intense. And so we, the next day, hiked three hours to get to one of the uh, villages. And uh, the village there, um, when we showed up, they, the, the, the people at that church started crying. I mean, the church is like a little hut. You know, it's, it's kind of crazy. But this little village, and they were just like so, you know, thankful that, you know, we came and we uh, helped with the kids' service and worked with the kids and did a lot of things with them. And I remember when we went to this village, I looked over and there was a man in just like, just a loincloth. That's all he had. And I was like, man, that is an interesting life. Like, I'm just, I was just, this just hit me. I had an epiphany. I was like, that person right there is in a loincloth, and he's in the middle of this jungle. Like, that's, he's living a different life than I am. I, I'm going to ask him what's going on. So I go to this man, and I say, hey, you know, I was like, what, what does your day look like? Because you see, they don't even have money. There's no currency in the, in the jungle. They don't, like, it's not like, I could have had a million dollars in hand, and they wouldn't have cared. Because there is no money. You don't just, like, money's nothing to them. And so, I was like, he doesn't have this job. So I said, you know, what do you do? And he said, well, he spoke English. And you'd be shocked that a lot of these countries, they, a lot of people know English because they have to know multiple languages. And so he said, I wake up. And he said, you see that coconut tree? I climb that tree, and I grab a coconut. And I cut it open, drink the milk, and eat some of the coconut. Said, wow, that's cool. And he said, yeah, and see that fruit over there on that bush? He said, I go grab that f- fruit off the bush, and I eat it. Good breakfast. <laughs> Starting out the day pretty good. And then he said, yeah, and then, then I go to the ocean. The beach is right there. Go over there, and I take a bath. Okay. He said, then I... Walk back and read my Bible and study because I'm trying to lead the village people to Christ. And he said, then, um, then you see that chicken? And there's just wild chickens, you know. You see that chicken? I go kill that and I eat it. And they did. They, they like literally killed chickens and cooked them for us right there in front of us. It was nuts. And they, he was like, I just kill it and eat it. That's lunch. And I go spend time with kids and, and then I just build fire and sit around. And I was like, wow. That's, that's, that's neat. He said, you know what's funny? He said, Americans come here and feel bad for us because we have nothing. But he was like, we feel bad for Americans because 
We have everything we need. And Americans never have it. He said, you, you guys are enslaved to money. If you don't have money, you can't live. You, you can't live in a house. You can't have food. He was like, we have everything we need. We have faith. We have food. God provides. And I thought to myself, I'll never forget it. I thought to myself, how true is that? We find ourselves enslaved to our finances. Number two, not only do we need to be content in our finance, but number two, we need to be content in our circumstance. Look at what Paul says here in the the next verse, in verse 12. He says, I have learned the secret of living in every situation. He's learned learned the, the secret of living in every situation. Remember where Paul is, guys. I have a picture of what the prison cell probably looked like in Paul's time. This was a maritime prison. Uh, this is pretty much what it probably would have looked like back in Paul's time. This isn't like a, like a jail cell like we see today that, you know, a nice little bed, you know, get some meals, um, you know, maybe even have a little TV time. Like this is, that's, that, that, that hole right there is where he uses the restroom. He's sitting in this prison cell and he's writing and saying, I've learned how to be content in every situation. You see, Paul wasn't thankful for being in the tough time. He wasn't thankful for being in the prison. Thank you, God, for putting me here. This is amazing. He, didn't, he wasn't thankful for that. What he was thankful for is the one who will carry him through that situation. He was thankful that God would take him through. Let's look in verse 13, moving along here. Paul then says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. This passage of Scripture is very popular. It's very famous. A lot of people know it. But I believe a lot of people kind of use it semi out of context. Although, yes, you can do anything. I mean, yeah, if God, if you wanted to score 100 points in a basketball game and God wanted you to do it, yeah, you could do it. He can give you the power to do that. But that's not the context of Scripture. The context of Scripture here is saying, listen, Paul's saying, I can do everything. What I do and who I am is not about me. He didn't rest in the results of what he could do. He rested in the result giver. See, Paul was number three and number four, content with his performance. And he was content with his significance. I know a lot of people out here, including myself, by the way. In fact, I can say this. I needed this message today. You know what I was worried about? God, would you, would you just please help me to preach a good message? I just... I don't embarrass the church and like, you know, I know I'm not, I'm not up here often. So like, I just, I just want to preach a good message so people, you know, I had that thought run through my head. Sometimes you have that thought of, man, am I good enough? And I wish I was like so-and-so. Man, I, I wish I looked like, or I wish I... Uh, last year, I coached men's basketball, men's college basketball for champion and some of the guys on the team are sitting up there, and thanks you guys for coming. But we played, we were the number one team in the country at our level. We were 17 and 3. Um, we, were, we were hooping. I mean, these guys are amazing. It had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with, I mean, these guys were so, they were playing well. So we get the number one seed at the regional tournament. We go up to Oklahoma City, and we play in our first round game. We're up by two points. The other team shot. I, Honestly, it was unbelievable. They shot lights out. We got down big. We came back. We were up by two with three seconds left. And this is what happened. 
I can tell you this, I almost threw up all over the court when he hit that shot. <laughs> I thought, that's impossible. Double clutch from half court, just sunk it. And the referees, they were, you know, anytime there's a last second shot and the buzzer goes off, they deliberate. And I, I knew the shot was good by a mile. But I was like, God, please, you know, if, if you love me, please. Count the basket. And I can tell you, I was pretty discouraged. When I walked into the locker room, I'll never forget being more proud in my—I've never been more proud in my life of a group of people. Those guys were unreal. They weren't in there cussing each other out, throwing things. You should have done that. I walked in, and the captain, hey, guys, it's my fault. Man, I could have done this better. Hey, it's not your fault. It's, hey, look, I did this. And they were all, they all had each other's back. Then they started going around, like raising their hand, just wanting to talk and just, I just want to thank you guys for letting me play. I've never been more proud in my life of a group of guys. See, they realize that the result isn't always what you want, but God's in control. And although we don't like the results, we can trust the result giver and be content in our performance and our significance. You see, contentment isn't found in what we have. Contentment isn't found in any situation that we were in. It's not found in what we have done, and it's not even found in who we are. Just believe in yourself and love yourself. No, that's not where, that's not where it's found. Contentment isn't found in that. Contentment is found in knowing whose you are. We sing about the fact that God fights our battles. We sing about the fact that he never loses a battle, and he's always victorious. If we know that, and we truly believe that, we trust that, then we can have that peace, that contentment to know that God is in control. Here's my clo- uh, closing thoughts. Four applicable ways to show contentment. I don't like to give a whole bunch of knowledge without giving you something that we can apply it throughout this week. And so I want to challenge you this week on these four things. Number one, be thankful. You can show contentment by being thankful. You know, whenever I was studying for this message, I, I, I had this idea. And oftentimes, uh, every single class, I teach four classes this semester. And every time I teach, before I start, I always ask for prayer requests. What's some prayer And that, by the way, that's great. God says to make your request known. And if you don't ask, you have not because you ask not. Like, we want to we make those requests known. But I had this epiphany. I said, man, we always are asking God for things. Why don't I start taking, hey, who's got something? Who's got a blessing they want to share? Just being thankful. And, be, and when you come up with a prayer request for God, and there's something on your heart that, that you want from God, and got, you want God to know, why not just think about a couple of blessings that he's given you as well? Because guess what? When you start to think about your blessings, it doesn't mean that we don't pray for that prayer request. What it means is we begin to get content. And our heart and our motives in our prayer aren't selfish anymore. We realize, hey, God, you're so good to me. I don't deserve what you've done. But there is this thing that has been really bugging me lately, and I'm just going to ask that you work in that situation. Number one, be thankful. Be thankful to people. Be thankful to others. 
Number two, be generous. Number one, be thankful. You can show contentment by being thankful. Number two, be generous. Listen to this. The key to financial freedom is not wise investing. It's not careful budgeting. And it's not being debt-free. Now, real quick, those are good things because those are called stewardship. And the Bible and God also commands us to be good stewards with what he's given us. So yes, we definitely want to be good stewards. We want to invest wisely. We want to carefully budget. We want to become debt-free. Those are things that I'm working on right now because God also commands us to do that and be a good steward. But that's not the key to financial freedom. Listen to this. The key to financial freedom is contentment. When you're content with what you have, you are free financially. It doesn't mean, again, that we don't go work hard and we're not excellent and we don't go out and provide. But what it does mean is we are content and we can be finally free financially. The key to contentment is generosity. You see, when we, when we have our things and the things that we, we, we've earned and we've worked for, and these are the things that when we let go, the shackles that we're holding on, we can break free of those. And we can actually love God and we can serve people more holy because we don't have that chain of financial burden. It was funny, last night, I was, uh, we, we had the uh, Nintendo Switch and I was playing with the kids and uh, Lainey uh, wanted to buy another game and uh, she said she was uh, $60, nuts. And she had some money that she had saved up for her birthday and stuff. And so she said, MJ, she said, I'm going to buy this game so we can both play. And they bought Mario Party. And we started to play that game together. And it was funny because the more I talked with Lainey about that money and how it was very kind of her to buy that game so that they could play together, because she was actually wanted another game, but MJ really wanted to play Mario Party, and she knew that if she bought her own game, MJ wouldn't even know how to play that game. So she bought that one. And I started to talk to her about, hey, that's generous. That's thinking of others. I'm not just talking about giving to the church, and, and even though that's a great thing, and we should definitely do that, I'm talking about just being generous in general. Is there somebody in your life that maybe you can bless? Maybe God's blessed you to be a blessing. I know for me, many times in my life, I've been so, I've been so selfish. God, you blessed me with this money, so obviously you don't want me to give it because this is what you blessed me with instead of thinking, well, maybe he blessed me with it. Maybe I can be a blessing to somebody else. Be generous. When you give, you break the chains of money and can pursue God more holy. Matthew 6.24 puts it this way. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. Listen to this. You cannot. Other words, it's impossible for you to serve God and be enslaved to money. Money, again, is a good thing. And we can use it in so many good ways. But don't allow it to control you. Don't allow the love of money to control you. Allow it to be a blessing to other people. Number three, not only do we need to be thankful, we can show contentment that way and be generous. We can let the past go. We can let the past go. Philippians 3.13 says this. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. This is Paul speaking again. 
I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. You know, so many of us live a life, and I have done this. I'm telling you, I'm speaking from experience. I need this so much more than anybody in here, I promise you. But so often we live life thinking about the past. Man, if, if, only, if only I would have done this. Or if only they would have done this. Or, man, I just, I wish I would have. And we live life discontent because we're looking at the past wishing we would have done something different. And God is calling us to say, look, it's not ignoring your past. You're not ignoring it. You're not throwing it away, but you're giving it to God. And saying, God, this happened in my life, and I'm not going to let it hold me back. I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to forgive who I need to forgive. I'm going to, you fill in the blank. And I'm going to give that past to God and look forward to the future. Because guess what? You'll never be content if you're holding on to the past. Lastly, not only do we need to be thankful and be generous, let the past go, but lastly, live one day at a time. Just live one day at a time. Proverbs 37 through 9, this is Solomon speaking again. And he said, oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. That's a good thing. Listen to what he asked secondly. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I go rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. You know what's interesting about Solomon is he arguably became the richest man to ever live. God gave him as much as he could give anybody. But Solomon's thought was, God, give me just enough to satisfy my needs. And the truth about Solomon is, he had it all. He had all the women he could ask for. He had all the money, all the fame. And at the end, we find out in Ecclesiastes, she says, all of it's vanity. The only thing that's not is what you do for Jesus. There is a story of a woman named Helen Lemmel, and she moved to the United States from England. She got married, and uh, she was working in a church, and she was writing hymns. She was very talented in her music, in her music writing. A few years into her marriage, Helen ended up getting a, uh, a sickness, a disease that caused her to become blind. And her husband ended up leaving her. He didn't want to have to take care of a blind woman. That's a lot of work. And he just said, I'm done. And he walked away. God used Helen to end up writing over 400 hymns of the faith, almost closer to 500. And none more famous than the words of this song. Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness to see. There's light for a look at the Savior, a life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, 
Look full in his wonderful face And the things of earth, they'll grow strangely dim In the light of his glory and grace You see, whenever you are focused on one thing You're not worried about everything else Everything becomes blurry behind it And when you're focused on Jesus Everything else becomes blurry. Not meaningless, but understanding that the motive of everything that we do and the understanding of true contentment comes in understanding that Jesus is enough. There's somebody in here tonight, this morning, that hasn't started that relationship with Jesus. And I can tell you this, I can promise you this, that you will never truly be content and satisfied without beginning that relationship. There's a hole in every single person's soul that cannot be filled with drugs, it cannot be filled with alcohol, and it cannot be filled with relationships, it cannot be filled with fame or the right job. The only thing that will ever fill that hole and that satisfaction is Jesus. If you're in here today and you say, man, you know what, Mo? I think I need that. I'm ready. I'll be down here in a little bit and we'll have another prayer partner up here. And if you'd like to discuss that, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to see if we can't get that settled. Because whenever you have that relationship with Christ, that's when things begin to be fulfilled. There's many of you in here today that have been saved many years, maybe. Maybe you've been saved for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. And maybe we've lost focus of Jesus. I have. I've lost focus. I thought it was about maybe money at times, and maybe it was about, you know, getting you know, the coaching, I want to get, I want to get to this level, or maybe it's, I just got to, I've been there. And maybe we've lost our focus. And maybe we need to do what Helen did as a blind woman and just turned our eyes on Jesus. We're about to sing a song called Jireh. And Jehovah Jireh means that God is And one of the lines of that song says, I will be content in every circumstance. If you're going through something today, you don't have to deny that those things are bad. And it's tough. Just pray about it. Give it to God. And know that God loves you. And he wants you to live a life fully satisfied and content. (sighs) Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your truth. I honestly don't know how anyone can live life without it. If there's somebody in here today, God, that is living life without it, I pray that you would put it on their heart to take care of that. God, I'm sorry for being ungrateful. I'm sorry for not being as generous as I should be. 
I'm sorry for holding on to the past. I'm sorry for looking too far in the future and not looking at today. Truly, you are enough. You're enough for me, God. You're enough for everybody in this building. I pray that you would turn our eyes and our hearts towards you. I pray that you would allow gospel light to be a people that is fixated on one thing together, and that's Jesus Christ. And that you'd allow us to work together to share the gospel and get others to do the same. We love you. And I thank you not just for what you've done, God. You've done a lot for us, but not just for what you've done. I'm thankful for who you are. You are Jaira. You are enough. I love you. Jesus, I pray. Amen. Would you stand?